Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Connor. We talked about bartering in our last episode, but I wanted to build on that and kind of continue the conversation talking about something that is called parallel economies. So bartering is an example of a parallel economy. What does parallel mean? It means, remember, if you kind of draw uh, two straight lines next to each other, they're parallel. They're running kind of in the same direction, but to the side of one another. So that's- Like the house what, across the street. Yeah. It would be parallel. Yeah. Yep. So bartering is an example of a parallel economy, meaning it's kind of an economy that's running alongside the traditional- you know, normal economy that we use money for and everything. So it's there, it's running in the same direction. In other words, people are getting what they want and they're trading and they're, you know, whatever, but it's kind of off to the side. So that's kind of what that means to be a parallel economy. But there's other examples too. Uh, so I guess we could draw numerous lines. We've got the normal economy, then we got bartering. Uh, we talked a little bit on the last episode, so maybe I'll start here about black markets. So a black market is a parallel economy as well. So again, you've got your traditional regulated market where the government is controlling things and overseeing things and restricting things and so forth. Then you have your bartering, which as we talked about last time, is kind of rare. It's harder because then you have to find someone who can offer you exactly what you want and so forth. But the black market is another parallel economy running kind of alongside uh, the traditional economy, because this is these are people who are are trading with one another. Maybe they are things that are illegal, like if you're in a country where guns are outlawed, but you want to keep your family safe, so you illegally buy a gun to protect your family. Or you know maybe uh, you're a cancer patient, and so you buy some cannabis uh, from a guy you know because it helps you be able to eat and keep some weight on and none of the drugs the doctors are giving you help but in your state it's illegal unlike other states so that would be an example you know of a black market raw milk mm, <laughs> yep. example but in a lot of places raw milk uh, is illegal and uh, there have been uh, particularly Amish people in the past who have been persecuted by the government simply for engaging in the trade of raw milk and you know butters and creams coming from raw milk i remember one in particular had like their whole store and homes raided by like i think it was the fbi with guns drawn and everything because they had this uh this raw milk kind of uh co-op that they created so black markets are these examples where it is a market there are people uh, buying and selling and trading but they're doing it either outside of the purview of the government um, in other words, they're, you know, the government is not kind of blessed what they're doing, or they're doing it in direct defiance of the government. The government says, you know, you cannot sell liquor. And then Al Capone and all his gangster buddies, you know, a century ago during prohibition, they continued to sell liquor. It was completely illegal, created all these battles and deaths and all kinds it's of problems. crazy how criminals don't care. Yeah, you think, right? <laughs> Why are you following the law? Well, I'm a criminal. What do you expect me to do? And so the, that was a black market for, for liquor when it was prohibited for a number of years during prohibition. And it created all these problems. So the black market is another kind of parallel economy. Let's go to another one, Brittany. What do you have to share? Yeah, Bitcoin. 
I think is okay. is one of the biggest ones. And maybe that's not it's well actually it is kind of a black market, isn't it? In a so sense. Bitcoin, it was a way, and again, I love looking at the times things popped up. So Bitcoin comes around 2009, 2008, 2009, 2008. Something I think. like that. Yeah, something like that. And 2008 was right when we were going through this crazy housing crisis where people like you and I, Connor, we came of age during this time. So I think there is a natural distrust of government's role in the economy because we saw what happened. We saw, you know, our parents or family members or family friends lose everything. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a surprise that it was right around that time that Bitcoin and the blockchain came into existence because here you have people who are scared now because they're thinking, all right, the government has repeatedly messed with our money supply. Things always seem to go pretty poorly the more they intervene in the economy what if we started our own economy and what if we made it encrypted? Like what if you made it private so they can't see what we're doing? And that to me is probably one of the most powerful parallel economies that has, you know, occurred, especially in our modern time, because look at how big it's gotten. And it's sad to me. I remember there was a time when we thought maybe government wasn't ever going to be able to regulate it at all. And yeah. I miss those days <laughs> because it's been, I mean, of course, so everybody's got to think like, okay, the second government finds out about something, they're going to want to find a way to regulate it. But there was a while there where I didn't think, I didn't think anyone was ever going to have to pay taxes on it. Like I thought this was going to be our, you know, we finally found a way. So it, it has been a little sad to me to see the government has played a role in intervening a little bit, but I still think it is one of the freer things we have. You know, there is, and I am not condoning any of this, but there's something called the dark web where you can pretty much buy any. It's like it's a black market online. It's a black market online. But you use Bitcoin to do that, right? So Bitcoin is helping this other parallel economy. So it's just it's fascinating to me. What is there's a the original Jurassic Park. There's a character that says uh, it's life finds a way is yeah. his quote. And I love that because the free market finds a way. If the economy is not serving us, somebody will find a way to create. Well, let, let's economy. continue from the Jurassic Park theme. Uh, the same guy, I can't remember his name, Malcolm something. I mean, in real Jeff life. Goldblum, the greatest actor yeah, of Jeff all time. Goldblum, but right. <laughs> but yeah, yes, yeah, Dr. Malcolm. I don't know why I said Malcolm. Uh, oh, no, that, that's, that his, is... that's his character name. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. So in there, he's talking to the scientists or about the science. Yeah, he's talking to these scientists that created these dinosaurs brought them back. And he says something like this. He says, um, you were so focused on whether you could that you didn't stop to think whether you should. In other words, he's saying you were so focused on whether you could bring dinosaurs back that you didn't stop to think whether you should do it. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's kind of uh, one of these interesting things where like, yeah, you can ban or try to ban Bitcoin, but should you? Right. You can punish Amish people to try and, you know, force them to stop selling raw milk. But should you? And so the government, when you have these black markets, it, it sees them as a threat. I, I mentioned on the last episode when we're talking about bartering, we mentioned the Silk Road and the 1200s and where it was this explosion of trade. And you mentioned the dark web again, not recommending anyone really look into that. But it exists and it's important to recognize that there are black markets all over the world. Uh, offline and online where bad things are done in the shadows, just like Al Capone and his buddies during prohibition were doing all kinds of bad things. Government prohibition does not make the bad thing stop. It just pushes it down into the shadows where it can get way more dangerous for everyone involved. And so uh, there's an individual, I, th I think we've talked about him uh, before on the podcast, perhaps not, but Ross Ulbricht, 
who created. We haven't. I think we should though. At some point. Okay, so he created a website called Silk Road. He named it the Silk Road, and it was basically an online, uh, you know, black market. I guess you could call it. It was a way uh, using Bitcoin. Um, and cryptocurrency to be able to buy things. And so, you know, lots of bad stuff was being used on there, but some fine stuff too. And it was just a market, but the government uh, punished him. I think he has what, like a double life sentence uh, in prison. Like he gets punished more than like murderers and people who have like actually done horrible stuff. So it's a very sad story. Um, but it he shows has been the, teaching a lot of other prisoners about the economy and stuff, though. So he's chewing as much as he can. Yeah, I mean, that's a good lesson about you know turning lemons into lemonade, yeah. right? No matter what you're saying. Uh, in fact, we should do an episode on Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Oh yeah, where, we should. You know, here's a guy uh, that experienced the Holocaust, way worse than what Ross is going through, and yet, despite that, he's finding ways to make the most of his circumstances. Fascinating story. We'll talk about later, but it it shows that. Um, the government sees these things as a threat. That, that's why Ross was punished so severely. A murder, random murder, is not a threat to the government and to the economy, but an online website free of regulation is a huge threat. And so they punish him way, way more. <coughs> Excuse me. They punish him way, way more because it is it is a threat to uh, to what the government is doing and what it's trying to control. There's another parallel economy, perhaps, uh, that I want to mention, and that's homesteading. So self-sufficiency. Basically, if I I have a homestead and I'm growing all my own food and, uh, you know, producing and I'm, you know, even spinning my own wool and clothing, and if I'm minimizing the number of things I need to trade for and buy because I'm producing a lot of things on my own, then that's kind of a parallel economy. I mean, really, any family household is kind of a mini economy, a mini business. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day because we talk a lot about entrepreneurship and small business with Tuttle Twins and so forth. And I was thinking, you know, in reality, every family is a small business because you're buying and selling and you're managing resources and you're you know, directing people and you're all working together. And it's kind of like running a little company. And, which so what is does that kinda, make your kids? Your kids, uh, your employees, or your employee, coworkers? Te- team members. We'll call them team, <laughs> team members. members, colleagues. Yeah. I just, I just need to get them to a point, like, like you know, when you drive through um, uh, Chick Fil A. Ah, uh, yes, the nice. You know, and you say thank you or whatever, and they say my pleasure. My pleasure. I, mean, I need to get my kids saying that, you know, like my pleasure. Um, and so every family is kind of a little small business. So a family is kind of its own little economy. And so homesteading, where you kind of take it to the extreme, as some people do, can be a parallel economy. Now, there's problems with that. Granted, there's problems with, you know, right now, Bitcoin, uh, trying to mainstream that. There's problems with black markets. There's problems with bartering. There's problems with the traditional economy. There's tons of problems with the traditional economy. So everything has trade-offs. None of this is perfect, right? But what are the problems of homesteading? Well, one of them might be that it is very difficult to make all your own stuff, <laughs> to yes, grow all is. your own stuff, right? In The Miraculous Pencil, we shared the story of how a pencil is made. And it requires all these people. Uh, as our listeners know, that book is based off of an essay called I Pencil by Leonard Reed. My guy, Leonard Reed, yep. He talks about the autobiography of a pencil. And there was an individual, I don't remember the name of this, but on YouTube, there was this video where this guy tried to make a, uh, a sandwich all by himself. And so he grew the wheat 
and then ground it and turned it into flour. He grew tomatoes. He raised chickens. <laughs> he grew lettuce, you know, all the things, basically all the ingredients for like a, you know, some kind of chicken sandwich. And, or maybe it was beef. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember, but it's some kind of sandwich. And so all these different ingredients and <laughs> like it took an insane amount of time and it wasn't that good because he was trying to do it all himself. So our lives are better when we're interacting with other people, when we have division of labor, right? We specialize in what we're good at and then other people specialize in what they're good at and then we trade. Then things get way better. We get things like cars and iPhones, iPhones. you know, and books <laughs> and all kinds of cool stuff. And information. Information even. That's a great point. So homesteading, even though it's a parallel economy, one of its big problems is you, your living standard declines because you're not able to do very much all on your own. You can do a lot. You can survive. You know, people throughout history have survived. Little families out on a homestead somewhere. Um, so you can survive, but you won't probably thrive. But uh, but I think it's also still uh, an example of a parallel uh, economy. Brittany, maybe the question for you, and we've touched on this a little bit with Ross Ulbricht and the Silk Road, but let's revisit this for a moment. How do governments feel, generally speaking, about these parallel economies? They do not like them, and uh, they don't like it because they don't like being in control. It's different than this, but you know, Ron Paul always had that thing, don't steal, government hates competition, but it goes back to the government hates competition. They do not like what they cannot control. And the reason black markets and parallel economies of, of all natures are so important are because the government isn't involved for the most part, right? It bypasses all their silly regulations and laws that mess up our economy. And it allows people to do what people were born to do, which is exchange ideas and goods and services with each other. And they don't need a third party to help them do that. So no, the government doesn't like when it loses control. So that it, it absolutely does not like it. I, I think you're right. And perhaps that's all the more reason why those of us who care about freedom should actually be supportive of parallel economies. Uh, competition against the state is a good thing because if we don't have competitive pressure, if we don't have you know, other parallel economies that are pressuring the government, then the government is a monopoly. And then we all know how monopolies go. The quality goes down, the cost goes up. And so we don't want the cost of government to go up, which is taxes and, and restrictions and so forth. And we don't want the quality to go down, which means we need competition which means we need parallel economies. If, if Bitcoin and crypto continues to like thrive and grow, and if people can use it to more easily transact, then the traditional economic system that has a ton of corruption and middlemen making money all over the place when they shouldn't and they're, they're taking value from people, right? They start to go away, which is why people like you and I years ago really flocked to Bitcoin because of that promise of this very fancy word called disintermediation. <laughs> basically, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't like that one. <laughs> basically take, taking the middleman out of it so that we, we can connect directly, trade directly with people rather than having all these middlemen. And so the promise of parallel economies is let's connect people directly to one another. Let's be able to buy and sell and trade like free people. And then as those grow or as people continue to do those, maybe that's going to keep the government a little more honest. Maybe it's going to be enough of a competition or a threat to the traditional economy that some of the corruption starts to go away and get fixed. At least that's in theory. It's harder in practice, as Ross Ulbricht himself yes. very well knows, sitting in prison right now. Uh, but that's parallel economies. We talked about bartering. Now we talked about this. These are opportunities and ideas to explore 
how an economy works and what it actually means for us on a day-to-day basis. So Brittany, as always, thank you. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.